to see everyone. Nice to have everyone back in the building. Thank you, Jesus, for level one. Who's enjoying level one? Man, I'm loving level one. Kia ora, nihau, anyong haseo, Welcome. It's nice to, nice to see you guys. It really, really is. Today, as we get into the third part of our Paradigm Shift series, um, I want to start by talking about a couple of documentaries I've been watching. And I need to say up front, you know, I'm not a conspiracy, conspiracy theorist. Uh, if you are a conspiracy theorist, love you to bits. Um, but I have been watching uh, The Great Hack and The Social Dilemma. Has anyone seen those documentaries, The Great Hack and or The Social Dilemma? Okay, quite a few of us have. I, I was... Uh, I watched them on multiple recommendations from people, and it was very, very interesting. And I have to say, not a little disturbing. You know, the influence of social media platforms today is absolutely huge. Uh, On everything from individuals' mental health to identity issues, all the way up to uh, the outcome of government elections, civil unrest, I mean, it's almost too much to believe. The influence is absolutely huge. And in these documentaries, they were talking to people who were there right at the beginning. You know, when when Facebook was small, when Insta was small, when Snapchat was small, when these platforms were just an idea in somebody's mind. But now what these guys are trying to do is they're trying to work out how do they change some of these things that have grown so big so influential, make so much money, and have so little in the way of ethical constraints involved in how they operate. And so this week I found myself in Matthew, and as always, God and his word speaks to the issues that we are dealing with, right, that most affect us. And so I want to dive into Matthew chapter 13 today, and we're going to read in verse 31, and we're going to explore what Jesus has to say to us, and and we're going to draw out some observations from the Word of God today, so I hope you follow this with me. Matthew chapter 13, verse 31, Jesus speaking, it says, He told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed, which a man took and planted in his field. Though it is the smallest of the seeds, sorry, smallest of all seeds, yet when it grows, It is the largest of garden plants and becomes a tree so that the birds come and perch in its branches. Okay, let me just expand this a little bit, paint this picture a little bit for us, right? So there's this guy, right, he goes to his garden. He's got... He's got a bit of land, he's got, I don't know, maybe an acre, he's got a market garden, I don't know what he's got, but he's, he's, he's planting things in his garden. And in his hand, he holds a tiny seed. The guy at the garden center where he bought the seed said, buddy, this will grow into something really big and beautiful and grand. And so now he's standing there, and while it seems hard to believe, he, he takes this little tiny thing in the palm of his hand, and he pokes a hole in the soil, and he plants this thing in the soil, covers it, waters it, and tends it. Now let's fast forward, say, I don't know, maybe 10 years. 10 years. And this guy is now sitting in his garden, and he can't quite believe what he is seeing. He remembers standing here in this exact place so long ago, holding this little seed in his hand and putting it in the ground. And now, before him, is this big tree. 
And it's huge and it's beautiful. And the whole area has changed as a result of this tree. I mean, the, whole, the nature of the garden even has changed as a result. The air is filled with song. The birds are flying everywhere. There are insects everywhere. The birds nest high up in this tree. And with a little more shade, there are now areas of the garden where the sun just baked them hard before, but now they're in kind of semi-shade. He's growing certain vegetables and plants in those areas that flourish in an environment like that. And the leaves that the tree drops every year as they mulch into the soil are now providing nutrients. And he notices that the soil is so much more productive now than it ever used to be. And he stands there amazed at this big thing and he asks where did all this come from and we can find ourselves right in the world we are in asking the same question where did all this come from sometimes there are big things that we find ourselves engaged in big things that we find ourselves maybe even coming against big people big organizations, big problems, and we can find ourselves asking the same question, where did all this come from? Now, it's important we realize, right, let's be very, very clear, Jesus is using this not to teach us about agriculture, but he's doing this to teach us about the kingdom, right? That's what this is all about. It's to illustrate what happens in a, in a life, in a family, in a neighborhood, in a city, even in a nation, when the kingdom of God is introduced. That's the purpose and point of this parable. This is what can happen when the kingdom of God comes in a place, in a space. And, and this illustration is powerful, right? Because what it does is it inverts the predominant paradigm we have about big about big leaders, big business, big organizations, big problems. Because we are often intimidated by big. We're often intimidated by big. We find ourselves in situations, in our job, in our life, and, and maybe we're part of a big company. Maybe we've got issues or problems that are out there that are just like so much bigger than, than we can change all by ourselves. And we find ourselves intimidated by that. And, and what God does in this teaching on the kingdom is he completely flips that upside down. Because it's like Jesus is saying, you see the big, but I see the small that big came from. I'm going to say that again. It's like Jesus is saying, you see the big, but I see the small that big came from. You see, this generation's big problems, big challenges, they were the previous generation's small things. They didn't, weren't even really on the radar in the previous generation. Likewise, the next generation's big things are currently small things in our generation. And herein lies hope, right? Like Mark talked about, hope. You see, the answer is sometimes in realizing that every big thing has a season and that we get to determine what will be the big things in the next season based on what we are willing to sow in this season. Some key observations about Jesus or from Jesus' teaching today about the kingdom. Now, the kingdom is a is a big deal to many people, right? Because we like the kingdom, because the kingdom reminds us 
that God is bigger than just our local church. Love our local church. Nothing wrong with our local church, and that is important. You know, we used to love taking our kids to Parachute Music Festival, now Festival One. And what we used to love was as we walked around and as the kids walked around and we saw all the different stalls from all these different ministries and organizations out there doing great work in God's name. It helped our kids to understand that God was bigger than just what comes across the pulpit from this little church. You know, they go to Festival One and they, and they, they, they learn there that actually God is, God's into the armed forces, that there are chaplains and they recruit chaplains to go into the armed forces because the armed forces matter to God and he wants them to hear the gospel as much as anyone else. And actually God is also into leprosy. When they go around and see the leprosy mission, an organization dedicated because of their love for God to eradicate leprosy and all of its issues on the planet and they see that God's into that as well. And then they go past an organization that is trying to end sexual trafficking and slavery, and they see that God is into that as well, and that all these things matter to God, and we suddenly realize that God is big. God is kingdom, and his kingdom is bigger than just our local church, and we are an important part of it. But a kingdom understanding is helpful for us and important for us, right? And so God wants us to get an understanding of kingdom. But there's a particular thing that I believe God is wanting us to get from this particular parable. It's an aspect of the kingdom that we need to realize today. So, some observations. Number one, the kingdom of God is big. The kingdom of God is big. It's like a big spreading tree. That's the analogy Jesus gives us, where other things find support there. It's where they find rest, and it's where they nest, and it's where they reproduce and extend their influence. And so the kingdom of God is like that. It's a big spreading community where people find support and they find rest and they find a place to nest and they can reproduce and populate and extend their influence. I mean, this community that we are a part of spans the globe. And for those of you who have never been on a missions trip, when we finally get COVID kicked and we can actually travel again, you need to go. There is something powerful at It's standing in a church in Indonesia, like where uh, um, Arif and Stefania are from. Standing in an Indonesian church when they're singing the same songs that we sing here, but in a totally different language. And the presence of God comes and you feel them just the same and you realize we're family. This is my family. Or you go to Africa and you stand in a little village church out somewhere, maybe even under a tree, and they too sing songs. And I know those tunes, but they're singing a language I don't understand, but the presence of God comes and you realize we are family. It's kingdom and it's big. Who could ever have imagined what God could do on the earth? But that is what is being done through the kingdom. You remember Genesis chapter 1, verse 28? God blessed them, talking about Adam and Eve after they were created, and of course, realizing that the call of God, the mission of God, comes to both men and women. It says, God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and increase in number, fill the earth and subdue it. Do you realize that the kingdom of God is the prophetic fulfillment of God's original blessing on mankind? What God spoke about all that time and distance ago, God is working out now on our planet through the kingdom of God. It is an astonishing thing. The kingdom of God is big. Here's the second observation, though, is that the kingdom of God starts small. 
Jesus says this great spreading tree that supports so many other things starts small, starts tiny as a small seed, so small you can carry it with you, so small you can hold it in your hand, you can put it in your pocket until it's time to plant it. And so the kingdom of God starts with small things, small things like just a few people, just a few people, two or more, so small they can meet in your house, so small they can gather in a cafe. Do you realize that this church started as just a small gathering, 10 or 15 people? You know, every church starts as just a small gathering. You see, the kingdom starts with a small group of people saying, hey, let's get together and let's see what God will do. Small groups of people where maybe they, they, someone goes, hey, why don't you, why don't you bring a, a Bible study next weekend? You're just some young punk, some like I was, or some young woman, and you're like, I, I, I don't know if I can do that. How many great leaders, great Christian influences on the planet today started in a small group of people where someone said, hey, I think something's on your life. Why don't you bring something? The kingdom starts with small things. Small things like a few people, small things like a few dollars. A few dollars spent to buy a coffee for a new person when they come to church for the first time. A few dollars given to help somebody go on a mission trip. Those few dollars can change their lives. A few dollars given in faith into an offering bag. I was talking to Pastor Luke this week, just getting again the story of how this whole thing began that we are a part of. And he reminded me that it started when a woman called Georgina Meehan came up to him, put $10 in his hand. Just a few dollars, $10 in his hand. He said, I believe in what you see, Luke. I want this to be the start of a building fund because you're going to have to buy some land at some point. And that's where it started. A building. Okay, we've got, ten, we've got a building fund. We've got $10 in our building fund. And that $10 multiplied as other saw this vision and caught the dream and started giving into it. And, and here we are now with eight campuses. We've got over $60 million in kingdom assets as part of just Elon Christian Center and our eight campuses. Somebody started that 30 years ago with just a few dollars given in faith. The kingdom of God starts with small things. It also starts with small things like a small act of goodness. Like a small box of Christmas goodies that is given at Christmas time to somebody with a wee handwritten note. You know, I was, I was, um, I, it was one of those evenings when I'm leading my small group and, you know, you're believing for everyone to turn up. It's going to be a great night. You've got all these plans. And uh, any small group leaders here been in a situation where you, there you are and by 10 minutes past seven, by quarter past seven, by half past seven, there's you and one guy. Like, really, God? I did all this prep for one guy. Can I just kick him out? Can I tell him to come back next week? You know, who knows that, small group leaders, that, that if you have a night where one person comes along, usually it's because God wants to do something special in that person's life. So I'm sitting there on the couch with this one guy. I didn't know him particularly well. And I said to him, so tell me, what's your story? How did you end up here? He said, funny story. He said, because a year ago, he says, I was still in prison. Now I'm just making sure he's got no weapons concealed on him. I said, what, what happened? He said, he said, I was in Christmas, I was in prison in my cell. He said, 
I don't care what people tell you about loneliness. I'm telling you, the loneliest place on earth is to be locked up in a prison cell at Christmas. He said, I'm in my cell. It's just before Christmas. And a guard comes around and he gives me this little box. And I open this little box and it's got all these Christmas goodies in it. And it's just got a little handwritten note that's not even signed in there saying, just so you know, we're thinking of you this Christmas and we are praying for you. He said, I cannot tell you what that did in me. I cannot tell you how impacted I was in that moment. I was so blown away that somewhere there was somebody in my most lonely moment thinking of me and praying for me and remembering me at Christmas. He said, this is what I decided. Right then and there, I said this to myself. I said, I don't know who or what Elam is. I don't know who these people are. But when I get out of here, I'm going to find them. I'm going to join them and I'm going to serve them. He said, I came to this church. I got invited to your small group, and here I am. The kingdom of God starts with small things, like a little bunch of Christmas goodies and a little handwritten note. It starts small. So let me recap. Firstly, the kingdom of God is a big thing, so big that it changes the world in which it exists. Can you imagine for a moment, Hudson Taylor, all those years ago, going to China, this English missionary who went there and changed his dress and wore Chinese dress and learned the language and started sharing the gospel with people. Could he have ever imagined that here, where we are now, we live in a world where the church is, there is no nation on earth that has more Christians than China today. Absolutely astonishing. People getting saved all the time, all this while under an oppressive communist regime that's trying to eradicate religion. And how did it start? It started with a few people with a few dollars, doing a few acts of kindness like Hudson Taylor and many, many others who went to China and shared the gospel. It's unbelievable. The kingdom of God becomes a big thing, but it starts with very small things. And here's the third observation, that the kingdom of God is sown by people. The kingdom of God is sown by us. Jesus says that this great spreading tree that starts as a very small seed is something that a man or a woman plants in their field, in their patch, in their neighborhood, in their workplace. It's sown by a person, not by God. Isn't that interesting? Jesus could have told this story and eradicated those details. He could have said, you know, a seed was planted and this great tree happened in the sky. He didn't say that. He specifically said in this parable, this started as a seed in the hand of a person who planted it in their field, in their patch. I'm telling you today, you hold the seeds to the kingdom in your hands. The kingdom is planted by a person A person who will take a few people or a few dollars or a few acts of kindness and will put them into the place where they find themselves with faith that God could do something despite everything else that is going on. And that leads us to the fourth observation. And this is the game changer. That the kingdom of God grows. The kingdom of God grows. Now, this this is like, uh, I'm not really getting this. Jesus says that the small thing, the seed that is planted by a man or woman, it doesn't stay small. It does something bizarre. 
something that we've become so accustomed to because the idea of sowing and reaping and growing is so a part of our education system that we forget how profoundly amazing this is. You put a tiny little seed that looks like it's made of a bit of wood, you put it in the ground and it grows because there is something in seeds that make them grow. Do you realize that that thing that makes a seed grow is not in everything? If you plant a brick, you will not get a house. That it, bricks don't grow. It's true, I've tried it. Bricks do not grow. Do you know that? You can take a grain of sand and put it in the ground, and it will not grow. You will not end up with a beach in a few years, as nice as that might be. Microwave ovens do not grow. You plant a microwave oven in the ground, you will not grow a kitchen. I'm telling you. Now, I know we're joking about this, but it's actually like, what is the difference, right, between a little tiny seed that looks like a bit of dead nothing, and if you pull it, keep it in your pocket, it won't grow. You can carry it around your whole life. We can still grow seeds from hundreds of years ago. What is it about it? But when you take a seed, put it in the ground, and apply the right environment to it, a little bit of water, it doesn't need much. It grows, and it doesn't just grow, right? Like if you've ever seen a time-lapse uh, video of of something growing from a seed. Particularly if you see a time-lapse video of a tree, check it out on YouTube. Because what time-lapse does, it takes something that occurs very slowly over a long period of time and lets you watch it very quickly. And when you watch it very quickly, this is what happens when you plant a seed. It explodes out of the ground. It explodes out of the ground. Just in real life, it explodes unbelievably slowly. But growth is an astonishing thing. Growth is an amazing thing. And what Jesus is saying is that the kingdom of God grows. And when we plant, when we sow these small things, they will grow. You see, life is a supernatural thing. What is the difference between a dead body and a live body? And for obvious reasons, I don't have them here today to show you, okay? What's the difference between a dead body and a live body? I'll tell you this. There is nothing different biologically. There is nothing different biochemically. There is nothing different between the two of them except one of them is alive and one of them is dead. One of them at the, at the tiniest, tiniest cellular level has stuff going on. And the other one has everything that is present in that one, but at the smallest aspect of the tiniest cellular level, there is nothing. And you can't turn that one into this one. What is that? What is that difference? I'm telling you, it's life. It's supernatural. And the Bible tells us what it is. The Bible calls it the breath of God. See, God created Adam, and what did he do? Adam's lying there. He's like the dead one. He's, he's there. He's, everything is present. He, there's nothing else that he needs chemically, biologically, physiologically. He is complete, all there. What's the one thing he needs? This thing called life. We don't know what it is, but God breathes into him, and <gasps> suddenly Adam is alive. There is life in a seed. And when, and when things are sown like that, they grow. And remember, God's intent with this parable is not to teach us about basic horticulture. He's telling us about the kingdom. And what he's saying is when you take something and you sow it with faith, something that God's breathed on, and you start small, it will grow. And it will explode. And it might explode very slowly over many years, but it will grow in ways you cannot believe. This thing 
Small groups grow and become large influential communities and businesses and churches. Small offerings grow and become millions of dollars providing the gospel and help to thousands and thousands of people. Small acts of goodness grow and become organizations and ministries and businesses that do great good in the world today. And this is what I really believe God is wanting us to understand and to take as we go from here today. I believe God wants us to unleash the kingdom power of stars small. He wants us to unleash the kingdom power of starting small. You see, God's kingdom is about starting small with seeds he's breathed on. And how do you know when God's breathed on something? Well, anytime God gives you something, it's breathed on. Anytime God nudges you to do something, it's breathed on. Anything that originates from the Spirit has the breath of God in it. If God nudges you to do something, to gather a few people, start doing some fellowship, start maybe take something, give something to somebody or into something. You know, when God nudges you to do an act of kind of some, for something, there is some life in that, people. There's life in that. And it may look small, but I tell you, that's how kingdom start. That's how culture shifts. That's how the explosive power of growth is released wherever we are. In the book of Zechariah, this is the last thing I'm going to talk about today. In the book of Zechariah, we read of an incredibly important event in those first three or four chapters. It's a prophecy, and it's a prophecy that is about to be fulfilled, though you wouldn't know it. Jerusalem has been attacked by Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon. Everyone's been taken away. Most people have been taken away. Israel and Judah were repeatedly unfaithful over many, many years, took on other gods, ignored the prophets, would not... Uh, do things that were right in God's sight. And as a result, God took his hands off, said, you're going to be taken away. And God spoke to the prophet Jeremiah and said, you're going to be taken away for 70 years. But in 70 years, if you repent, I'm going to bring you back and I'm going to restore all these things to you. That's what happens. And guess what time it is as we're getting into Zechariah 3 and 4? Yeah, it's 70 o'clock. It's 70 o'clock. It's been 70 years, and Zechariah notes that the people have repented. And so God declares that he is indeed going to do something extraordinary. He's going to take this entire nation of Israel and Judah, this entire nation that are now have now been bedded into Babylonian culture for 70 years. They're part of the city. They're part of the economy. He's going to take them all. He's going to take them all back to Jerusalem. And he's going to rebuild through them the city of Jerusalem and going to rebuild the temple. It's going to be Amazing, And if it sounds big, it's because it is. I mean, seriously, that Babylon is just going to release a huge chunk of their workforce and their economy. Yeah, no, look, that's totally fine. See ya. Like, like I mean, practically that is not going to happen. That is huge. Not only that, if you read the story, then they've got to actually... They've got to be transported, this massive group of people, back through hostile, very hostile territory, back to Jerusalem... And then when they get there, they've got to rebuild the wall around an entire city. And then on top of that, they've got to rebuild a temple that has been desecrated and destroyed, a temple that was created by master craftsmen. I mean, all of these things are so huge, so impossible. But here's the amazing thing. God said it. God said in 70 years, this is what's going to happen. These massive things, you're going to see that these things do indeed come to pass and this is what happens. The problem is, is that people start going, well, we're not seeing anything. 
I'm not saying anything. We're, we're this big, like, is this going to be like Moses? Like, we all know about Moses, right? Is God going to come and put plagues on Babylon and lead us out with a pillar of fire? I mean, is that what God's going to do? Because we ain't seeing anything. And through Zechariah, God says this. God says, who dares despise the day of small things? Or in another translation, who dares despise the day of small beginnings? And God starts speaking to them about the power of the small. You know, the very nature of God's creation suggests that he will start small, but that it will end up big and beautiful and incredible. And if you read the story, that's exactly what happened. So why does God warn us? Everything that was written in the past was written to teach us. Why does God warn us against despising the day of small beginnings? It's because too often we never get started in changing anything because small sounds like weak. Small feels like unsuccessful. Small appears to be a failure. Yet actually, great change only happens through small things. You know, how many businesses fail because people try and start their small business too big, run out of cash? How many New Year's resolutions never really get off the ground because they just get pitched too big? I'm going to lose 50 kilograms. I'm going to stop smoking. I'm going to buy a house by April. It's going to be awesome. I'm going to turn my life around. And they find themselves in McDonald's on the 3rd of January, and it's all gone south. I've met people who wanted to pastor a church but wouldn't start by running a small group. I've met people who wanted to start a ministry but wouldn't serve someone else's ministry first to learn and grow and gain what they needed. You know, Pastor Luke Bro is one of our longest-serving national leaders in Elam, New Zealand. But do you know how he started? And I hope I get the story right, Bob, and you can correct me afterwards if I don't. You know how he started? I remember Bob telling me once that back in the day, there was a time when, when Pastor Luke came to Bob and said, Bob, I don't want to be the leader of Elam, but I want you to be the leader of Elam. You be the leader, and I will serve you. I'll do all the administration. I'll tick all the boxes and cross all the T's and dot all the I's. I'll serve you, Bob. You be the leader. And Bob was our national leader for 11 years, Bob? Seven years. Seven years, Bob led our nation, and he led our nation our, 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 of Elam, New Zealand, through the most, the biggest problem and challenge we'd ever faced as a movement until that time, and Luke just served Bob through that. At the end of that time, Luke then became our national leader. And his leadership movement has possibly become the most significant leadership we've known in 30 years. Let me challenge you today. God's kingdom in this city, God's kingdom in your neighborhood, God's kingdom in your workplace is right now a seed in your hands. And I want to ask you, what will you do with it? Because something has to be done. And something has to be done in this generation if the kingdom of God is going to be great in the next generation. Now, next week is Vision Sunday, and we're going to do something kingdom next week. And we're going to take up a, a vision offering, this offering we do once a year, uh, for all the things that we believe that God is calling us to do and be as a local campus and as a group of churches within Elam. We're going to do something next week that I believe will have large and unforeseen blessings in days ahead for us and for the kingdom. And we're going to talk about that next week. But for today, 
The kingdom power of starting small. I want to ask you some questions. I want to ask you firstly, what's one big thing in your world that you want to change? What's one big thing in your world that you want to change? And it may not be big to anybody else, but it might be big for you. You know, Lizzie and I have been married for 26 years. And I tell you, as astonishingly good as I am as a husband, don't say anything, don't say anything. You know, there are, there are more times than I can tell you about. But we've gone through a season where things are not good between us, usually because I'm an idiot. Amen, men? It's, I don't know how many times I've found myself in a place where we just like, we've got all this distance between us and I don't know how to bridge it. I don't know how to get back. It just seems too big. Oh, the things I've done or the things I've said, I, I just, it just seems too big. But you know what? Here's the great thing, right? We always get back. And we always get back because one or, or other of us starts doing small things again. The right small things, the little steps, sowing the small good seeds that we need to do that brings us back into a place of great closeness and love. What's one big thing you want to change? And then what's one small thing that you could start with? And will you trust Jesus that the Spirit of God might just take that and grow that into something big and beautiful that provides more than you could possibly have anticipated at the start? Is it time to gather a small group of people to see what God will do with that? Is it time for you to give a few dollars and hopefully next week it will be and see what God will do with what we sow? Is it time to do something good for someone, something small, something kind? Let's see what God will do with that. So we're going to finish today simply by taking a moment, taking a moment to see what God would say to us. So I'm going to ask everyone to stand for a moment. Can we stand please this morning? And as the team just begin to sing a song, I'm just going to ask each one of us to take a moment and to ask the Lord. God, what is it that you would have me do? What is, what's, what's the area I want to see changing, God? What's the big thing that I'm finding so difficult right now? God, what is one thing I can do? What is the seed that I have in my hand? What is the opportunity that I hold that I don't even realize? What should I do that God, maybe you would breathe on and do something powerful with. You know, I believe that some of you already know what that is, and that's awesome. I believe that when I preach for some, it's, it's, it's an opportunity to hear what God is saying to you, maybe. But for some, I also know I'm just confirming what God is already saying to you. Either way, as the team sing, I'd like us just to close our eyes and just have that conversation with God. God, what kingdom thing do you want to begin in my life, Lord, in my workplace, in my family? in my neighborhood. God, what's, what's the small thing that you would have me do that might just be a seed for something great in your kingdom in the days and weeks and months and years that are ahead? Come on, let's just take a moment and wait on the Lord as the team begin to sing.